And now please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today marks an important day in the history of the congregational churches and also of our great nation. Today is the 400th anniversary of the Pilgrim Landing on Plymouth Rock, way back in 1620. Well, to be precise, the Mayflower landed in Provincetown, Massachusetts on November 21st, or November 11th, according to the Julian calendar that they used at the time. The first survey of Plymouth occurred on December 21st, or December 11th, under the old calendar, which is the date that had been celebrated for many years in Massachusetts as Forefathers' Day. But today, we don't use November 21st or December 21st to remember and celebrate the pilgrims. Instead, we use the Sunday before Thanksgiving to don our pilgrim outfits and to find our inner William Bradford. It is altogether right and proper that we should do this. The pilgrim landing is a big deal. It marked the first successful permanent settlement of New England. For us Congregationalists, it marks the day that Congregationalists came to the Americas to start a new life, a new colony. Congregationalists justifiably mark this Sunday as the birthday of our denomination. Go Congregationalists! Woohoo! Happy birthday! This day is also a big day in American history. For 200 years since the anniversary of the celebration on Plymouth Rock in 1820, the Pilgrim Landing has taken on national significance. The Pilgrims have been seen, rightfully or wrongfully, as the forebears of American democracy. The Mayflower Compact, for many years, was taught as a founding document on the long path to the creation of the American Republic. During and after the Civil War, when Thanksgiving became a national holiday, the story of the Pilgrims became the origin story for that great feast that expression of American family and gratitude. School children have learned about William Bradford or William Brewster, Miles Standish, and Squanto. I remember dressing up as a pilgrim and Native American in first grade, as I know many of you have had similar experiences. There is a good reason why congregational churches all across America proudly incorporate the names Plymouth or Pilgrim in their titles, because this is a true American story. And yet, one thing that strikes me on this great anniversary is not the celebration of the pilgrims, but the almost eerie silence about them. It's been 400 years, and yet we have not seen story after story in the news about the pilgrims and the great pilgrim legacy. Part of the reason for this silence, no doubt, is that other things have occupied our national consciousness. We are in the midst of a hundred-year pandemic. We are feeling the after-effects of an important election whose divisions remain ever-present. But I suspect the relative silence about the pilgrims is not just due to the moment in which we find ourselves as a nation. There is more at play, and it behooves us to name the lingering unease about the Pilgrim legacy and to ask where it comes from. Now more than ever before, Americans are acutely aware of the damage 
done through the colonization of the Americas by Europeans. Europeans invaded the Americas and conquered the peoples who were living here. In the wake of that invasion, millions of indigenous people lost their lives through disease, death in battle, and the loss of ancestral lands. Americans made treaties with various Native American nations and then proceeded to break those treaties again and again when the demand for new land pushed settlers westward. Europeans claimed ownership over North America through making claims on land that others had already been settled. Some Europeans even engaged in biological warfare by intentionally distributing goods which were infected with smallpox into indigenous communities. Others aggressively traded liquor to those same communities, knowing that the tolerance for liquor among those communities was far less than among European communities and would lead to inevitable addiction. Europeans attempted systematically to stamp out Native American cultures through forced schooling and the outlawing of indigenous religion and language. The end result of this European invasion has been devastating. Indigenous people tried to resist these conquests through warfare and raids and negotiations, but in the end, those efforts failed and caused yet further destruction. Assessing the European invasion is a tricky issue for those of us who are descended from those early colonizers. Our lives and livelihoods are built on that foundation. To call it into question is to call our very civilization and way of life into question. For most of us, myself included, it is far easier to note history in the passing, to blame the particular bad actors from the past, to distance ourselves from their actions, and then to ignore the implications as best we can. All of this is perfectly understandable. To reckon too carefully with this past calls far too much of our current lives into question. Since the pilgrims were some of the earliest colonizers, it makes us feel far more comfortable to downplay their accomplishments or simply pass over them with little comment. I would imagine even just saying these words out loud makes many of you uncomfortable. As Americans, we don't want to hear them. Some of you might even have already shut off this sermon. But I think the very discomfort involved in saying these things aloud should be the encouragement that we need to keep listening. A related factor to our current silence about the pilgrims involves race in America. The story of the pilgrims and their role in the founding of America is a story of white America. The pilgrims were Englishmen, as were the vast majority of the early colonists of North America. People of English descent were the power brokers for the American colonies, with the notable exception of the early Dutch settlers of New Amsterdam and later New York. As the United States gained its independence from Great Britain and grew as a nation, it remained a nation dominated by those English roots. There is a very good reason why English is the predominant language of this nation. During the 19th and early 20th centuries, people arrived here in increasing numbers from Germany, Ireland, and later Scandinavia, China, Southern Europe, and Eastern Europe. Many of these later arrivals found themselves at odds with the dominant English culture and sought to adapt themselves to the American narrative. 
It is telling that it was during the late 19th and early 20th centuries when the pilgrims took on a greater and greater role in the cultural definition of what it means to be an American. A true American was someone who could claim descent from the passengers on the Mayflower. Societies began to emerge that celebrated descent from the pilgrims and also other early English settlers. These organizations include the DAR, the Colonial Dames, among many, many others. After the changes to the U.S. immigration law in 1965, the ethnic makeup of the U.S. has rapidly evolved. Since then, the claims to the pilgrims and to the original English settlers has begun to seem less and less significant to the telling of the American story. Our more recent reckoning with slavery and its history has made the predominantly white story of the pilgrims even more problematic for many. Should a nation like the United States, which prides itself on diversity and multiculturalism, really celebrate the, the pilgrims as the defining story of our nation's founding? And if we do, what does that say about the millions and millions of Americans who cannot claim that as their heritage? Is there an implicit or explicit judgment that non-English or non-white Americans are somehow less American? As a nation, we have not done a good job wrestling with these questions. And I would argue, our lack of engagement with these tricky issues underlies some of the political and cultural divisions that we see today. These issues with celebrating the pilgrims are real. And as the spiritual descendants of the pilgrims, it is our duty and responsibility to take the lead in thinking through these thorny issues. These issues obviously extend far beyond the pilgrims themselves. But the pilgrims are a part of the story. We are Christians. Christians are, above all else, called to engage in truth, open dialogue, confession, resurrection, and grace. These are the marks of our community. Are you ready to have these conversations about the problematic nature of celebrating the pilgrims? If not, it's worthwhile to ask yourself, why not? It's particularly troublesome if you claim the pilgrim legacy as your own. I can trace my lineage back through both my mother and my father to those who came to New England between 1620 and 1650. I'm a proud descendant of those who came over on the Mayflower. My grandmother's maiden name was Howland, and John Howland was one of the original passengers on the Mayflower. I'm sure there are others on that voyage that I'm descended from as well. My mother's maiden name is Conant, and Roger Conant was the founder of Salem, Massachusetts in 1626. My father's family has a deed to land that was granted to my family in Lowell, Massachusetts that goes back to the 1640s. My great-grandparents great still farmed that same land until they died in the 1970s. I attended a high school that was founded by Puritans in 1645, a college that was founded by those same people in 1636, and a graduate school that was founded by them in 1701. When I graduated from Harvard, we all sang the school song written in 1836. The final line of that song called on us to, quote, be heralds of light and the bearers of love, till the stock of the Puritans die. I know that line made most of my classmates uncomfortable, and it has since been changed. It made me proud. I am a student of history, 
And as such, I am unwilling to wipe away the past simply because it makes us feel uncomfortable. I love history because it tells us about what it means to be human across the ages. We can and must learn from history, its good parts and its bad parts. It's also dangerous to paint too broad a brush over the past, because when we do that, we miss its more profound lessons. And today is a day to talk about history, our history. As a Congregationalist, this history is your history as much as it is mine. So what can we learn about those pilgrims for us today? The original pilgrims were nonconformists, those who rejected the Church of England. They were derisively referred to as Brownists by those at the time, in reference to Robert Brown, the earliest and most ardent nonconformist. Robert Brown argued that the Church of England had no legitimacy as a church. The true church, according to Brown, were those communities of regenerated believers who were bound together by a sacred covenant before God. As such, Brown rejected the authority of the bishops of the Church of England and all the accretions of the church liturgy and practice that grew out of the old Roman Catholic Church. He was, in the language of the day, a true separatist. He sought not to purify the Church of England, as the later Puritans did, but to break off altogether. For his views, Brown was viewed as a traitor to the crown, as were those who adhered to Brown's views. William Brewster led a group of these separatists in Scrooby, England, who were forced to flee England in 1607 and emigrated to the Netherlands to join the other separatists there. It was a group of those separatists who decided in 1620 to join with other non-separatists and travel on the Mayflower to New England. This early history of the pilgrims fascinates me. Say what you will about them, but the pilgrims had the courage of their convictions. Their beliefs drove them to change their lives and take unimaginable risks. When the Puritans, not the Pilgrims, later emigrated to Massachusetts, they were a, respect, a respected class with influence and money and power. The Puritans held seats in Parliament. They had their own colleges at Oxford and Cambridge. They could boast of some of the finest minds in all of England. The Pilgrims, on the other hand, they were, well, distinctly ordinary. They had no power, little respect, and were fugitives from the law. They stood, up, they stood up for their beliefs at great cost. What an incredible example for us today, congregationalists or otherwise. Who takes these kind of risks these days, the risks that those first pilgrims took? Who is willing to actually step outside the mainstream? I mean, really step outside the mainstream. Yes, we at FCC do take unpopular opinions compared to others in Texas in terms of religion and politics. But nothing we, too, nothing we do puts us at odds with the law. Who among you would be willing to uproot your family over your deeply held religious convictions? Look at the pilgrims. I look at the pilgrims and I am in awe. Not only does their example push me to consider how bold I am today, but it also forces me to look at those in society who are actually taking such risks. Who among us would have the boldness to be pacifists if war came? Who would have risked arrest or worse to have joined the Freedom Riders in the early 1960s? 
Who would have been abolitionists when to have been so, even in the North, could have meant that your house or your business be torched, as happened to Lewis Tappan in New York, or even worse, killed, as happened to the Presbyterian minister and publisher Elijah Lovejoy? When it came time to potentially have FCC become a sanctuary church for those avoiding capture by ICE, the conversations here drifted away. Maybe it was right to do. Maybe it was wrong. But I have a good feeling I know what the pilgrims would have done when undocumented people were in harm's way and ICE came knocking at their door. Yet the pilgrim story is more than simply the story of bold nonconformists. As you know, when they arrived in Provincetown and later Plymouth, winter had already arrived. The 17th century was cold, part of a period that climatologists have deemed the Little Ice Age. And Massachusetts can be bitterly cold. Trust me, I've been there. I have a hard time imagine, imagining living in Plymouth with little food in those drafty huts during that first winter. We have in the past given out five kernels of corn to signify the daily ration of, pil of the pilgrims during the worst of that first winter. But to be honest, I try not to think about it. I try not to think what it would have been like to bury half the people that you traveled the ocean with. Digging those graves one after another into that frozen, unforgiving New England soil. Grief that strikes so deeply into the hearts of everyone there that there is really no other reality. It's just pain, dulling pain and persistence, that willingness to keep living day after freezing day when there doesn't seem like much reason to keep on living. And here's the miraculous part, the part that always confuses me. When spring arrived, when a ship finally arrived from England to resupply them, they remained in Plymouth. Can you believe that? Can you wrap your head around that reality? They stayed. Other colonies planted in New England had failed and failed for much the same reason. Those colonists went home to, to safety, but not that colony in Plymouth, not those pilgrims. They persisted. Oh, to have that fortitude. It defies my imagination. I can't really understand it, but they did it. They planted a new colony, a new life. What would it be like for us if we had even a fraction of that endurance? Oh, the obstacles in Houston? No problem. New fundraising goals that we need to match during this crisis to keep going? No problem. I, believe that, I, I do believe that the pilgrim spirit is here. It lingers, and to feel just a fraction of it. Imagine what we could do. The kingdom of God, I can almost see it around the corner. And the pilgrims were not a commercial success. They did not earn much money for those initial investors in England. It wasn't some adventure that was the next Apple or Microsoft or Amazon. It was just a small group of faithful separatists and adventurers. They had no fame, no adulation. And they kept plugging along. Okay, I know I've said a lot about the pilgrims already, but there are just two final things I'd like to mention. Bear with me. I told you I like history, and history matters, and the specifics of history matter. The pilgrims, that first generation of settlers, were not the great Indian killers of later European colonists. Yes, they did steal a store of corn found on Cape Cod. 
Yes, the relations with the Native Americans were far from perfect, but they did work together. There was a mutual respect. There was an understanding that arose between the pilgrims and some of the tribes that surrounded them. Now, had it not been for the smallpox epidemic that wiped out many who had lived in the area previously, perhaps things would have been different. But I feel you cannot blame the early pilgrims for the later atrocities that were committed by others. Just like with every historical narrative, the details of that narrative do matter. The weight of historical guilt over what happened should not fall entirely on that small band. The tragedy of European colonization is complex. We can and should have a nuanced view. In addition, the pilgrims were not the Puritans. The Puritans were a self-righteous bunch. They were intolerant by just about any standard you could propose. It was the Puritans who hanged Quakers on Boston Common and expelled the likes of Anne Hutchinson and Roger Williams for deviating from strict Puritan orthodoxy. But the pilgrims were far more tolerant. Part of that was from necessity. The original pilgrim settlement was not made up entirely of separatists. There were also those who were adventurers, those who came for commercial reasons to the New World. The Mayflower Compact itself was an attempt to create peace and tranquility among the competing groups in that small sect of settlers. The Plymouth Colony was distinct from the much larger and wealthier colony of Massachusetts Bay to the north. The Pilgrims had a broader fellowship of settlers among them. Our own tolerance and understanding today owes far more to the Pilgrims than to the Puritans. And I, for one, celebrate that and proudly claim that tolerance as our heritage. Yes, the later Puritans killed witches in Salem. The Pilgrims did not. History is complex. And it is complex and nuanced back then as our own histories are today. Good historians, those who pay attention to the details, resist making statements that are too broad because they seek after truth. And the truth is that there's a lot we can learn from the pilgrims and much that, we can and and much that can and should inspire us. They, like us, were not perfect. They were creatures of their age as we are creatures of our age. I am certain that we will be judged by the standards of the future and in many cases found wanting. 400 years from now, there will not be people talking about our lives or our accomplishments. The fact that we are talking about theirs should tell us something. The pilgrims did do something great. They started a new life in the most trying of circumstances and had enough good in them that we can proudly claim them as our spiritual forebears. This upcoming Thursday, we will gather around various tables to celebrate Thanksgiving. And for most of us, it will not be the Thanksgiving that we wanted or planned. But it will nonetheless be an opportunity to stop and take stock. I hope that as we do that, we can think about what we're grateful for, even amidst this trying time. If the pilgrims could do that at the first Thanksgiving in 1621, after all they went through, then certainly we can as well. The pilgrims were religious people and those who took their Bibles seriously. The reading I chose for today, Psalm 65, 
as a psalm of thanksgiving for a bountiful harvest. I would like to think that they might have recited that very psalm at that Thanksgiving meal nearly 400 years ago. So this Thursday, look through those words and read them through. Consider the bounty that we have, the bounty that we have in so many ways. And let us remember to give thanks for those who came before us. For indeed, if we do see farther than others, it is because we stand on the shoulders of giants.